not going to share things with you anymore. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, that would make this podcast real difficult. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Book Retorts. I'm Sam. I'm Danielle. And this is the podcast about sharing your weird media finds with your friends who don't know what you're talking about. And I am one of those friends. Currently, you're the only friend who'll put up with this, Danielle, <laughs> which is why we have this show. <laughs> yes, because we can get anybody else involved. I, I think it would be a lot to ask you people involved. <laughs> What do you have for us today, Sam? Also, I don't know why, but in the last few months, I've been really feeling the post-apocalyptic vibe. Mm -hmm. So we did like Highlander 2, very post-apocalyptic. And so this week, I have brought you probably the quintessential post-apocalyptic movie. It is the 1985 film Mad Max 3 Beyond Thunderdome. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I've only seen two of the Mad Maxes. <laughs> Does that include the newest one, Fury Road? Yes, and the original. The original with you, right? Was yeah, that, that I, was yeah. you. I made you watch the Mad Max. <laughs> <laughs> so now I'm bringing it full circle, skipping Mad Max 2 or The Road Warrior, going right to Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. So we don't know what happens in the second. Does it matter for the third? No, not, not remotely. <laughs> so before we get started, I, I know that personally Mel Gibson is kind of trash. And I'm not going to get into the debate here about separating the artist from their art. I'm not saying whether you can or can't do that. I'm just going to sort of put it all aside so I can share with you some really ludicrous storytelling. Okay, ready. Let's do this. First things first, I think you need a description. That would be swell. Okay, it says, after being exiled from the most advanced town in post-apocalyptic Australia, a drifter travels with a group of abandoned children to rebel against the town's queen. There's a lot in there. Yeah, yeah, there's a <laughs> lot in there. This movie goes through so many tone shifts and like weird, like, oh, I know this movie. Oh, nope. Okay, we're doing this. Oh, we're doing this now. Okay, cool. What makes a town the most advanced town in a post-apocalyptic Australia? Uh, we'll get to that, but also... Also, I'm not sure since we only ever see one town in this movie and therefore by definition is the most of everything. <laughs> All right, let's do this. There may be other towns shown in the other movies that might have explained this, but I believe Mad Max took place before the nuclear apocalypse, right? Uh, why are you asking me that, Sam? You know I can't remember. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, the point is this is post-nuclear apocalypse. Okay. So- Anyway, movie opens, black screen, some sick 80s riffs, and then an original Tina Turner song, One of the Living. One of the Living? Yeah, that's the name of the song. Okay. <laughs> I didn't name it. As <laughs> opposed to One of the Dead? Or One of Anything Else. So, <laughs> Tina Turner actually made two original songs for this movie. That's exciting. Yeah. So we fade in on a desert landscape from above. There's a trail of dust moving through the sand, and we come close to see a cart pulled by camels. The camera zooms over and it cuts away just as a plane, which was the camera until a moment ago, dips low and knocks the person driving the camels off the car. So it's like a metal car being pulled by camels. Why are there camels in Australia? Are there camels in Australia? <laughs> It's a desert, Danielle. Maybe they imported the camels. I don't know. <laughs> like, that's not a common thing in Australia, right? I have no idea. I mean, I know there are many horrors in Australia. I don't know about camels. <laughs> I don't think camels are very horrific. But... Maybe they escaped from a zoo and bred, Danielle. This is all oh, not relevant. Oh, that's quite possible, actually. <laughs> so, yeah. so I have another thought. So the plane came oh, down. <laughs> I just want to clarify, the plane came down and knocked somebody over. Yeah, there's like, it's like a little propeller plane. Right. I figured it was a prop plane. Yes, yeah, like a one person or, or two person prop plane. And it comes down low and like, there's like something hanging from the bottom of it that's used to knock the guy out of the Okay, cart. so it didn't just like run into the guy. <laughs> no, no, there's something that they use to like kick him out of there. I guess the cart. that's marginally better. Okay, continue. Sorry. Wow, this is going to be great. <laughs> you're, you're upset about the camels <laughs> in this movie. You're going to have so many questions about everything else. <laughs> So we cut to inside the cockpit. 
And in the plane is a man in a pith helmet who cheers with his young son, also in a pith helmet. They're like matching couple costumes. It's really cute. Aww. Yeah. So the kid takes over flying as a dad, climbs out of the prop plane and drops into the cart and steals it and sort of takes off across the desert as didgeridoo music plays throughout all of this. So he dropped into the cart and like drove off. Yeah. Basically, he stole the cart. With he knocked camels. the guy off. The camels kept walking. He dropped into the cart while the guy was left behind and just sped off. Okay. While he's driving away, there's a monkey, like a capuchin monkey, <laughs> in the back of the cart. Why are there so many animals in Australia? <laughs> Danielle, have you been to Australia? It's full of animals. Yeah, but I don't know if these are standard Australian animals. All right. Again, I don't remember... <laughs> I'm going with the zoo theory. I think that's completely valid. Sure. But I'm saying I don't remember the second Mad Max really that well. If there was a monkey, maybe that this is that same monkey in this movie. So... Maybe someone who remembers a Mad Max franchise very well can write in and tell me, does this monkey have a deep and rich backstory that I am unaware of? Please let us know. So there's a monkey in the back of this cart and it starts throwing things out the back of the cart, primarily a, a pair of shoes and a metal whistle. Mm-hmm. And then we, so we find the man who's knocked out the cart. He gets up. It's none other than Mad Max himself. Now, just a fun little bit of trivia. Do you know Max's last name? No. It is Max Rockatansky. <laughs> Rockatansky. Rockatansky? Rockatansky. Rockatansky, okay. I thought it was Rockatansky. Like a rocket. (laughs) It's never mentioned in the movie, and he's billed as Mad Max in the credits, but I just thought that was a fun name. Max Rockatansky. It is a great name. It's very 80s. I love it. So Mad Max picks himself up. I'm just going to call him Max. The same Mad Max all the time is exhausting. So now he walks barefoot through the desert until he finds those boots the monkey tossed out and the whistle, like a whistle that a captain has on a boat. Mm -hmm. So he plays the metal whistle as we fade to black. Welcome to the first scene of Beyond Thunderdome. Questions? No, I already asked all my camel monkey questions and Well, okay, then I expect no more questions at all. (laughs) Okay. All right. I think I'm going to take a nap. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So now we see a group of people entering a bustling city called Barter Town. It's your standard post-apocalyptic garb, crazy, complicated hats with feathers, lots of leather straps, face paint, lots of like very revealing clothing. So like cod pieces and tight clothing. This is like, I think, the movie that has the most style of the early Mad Max films. Like, this is the one that really established this post-apocalyptic aesthetic, I think. Is this the most advanced city in the post-apocalyptic Australia? Wouldn't you like to know? (laughs) You said there was only one city, so this must be it. Well, you've really (laughs) sussed it out there, Sherlock. (laughs) I'm just making sure. (laughs) All right. So, it's all... Stinger post apocalyptic gear when a man in an umbrella hat propeller beanie thing on a bicycle rides up to Mad Max pedaling water. Max, however, pulls out a Geiger counter and the dude in the water are just like riddled with radiation. They're absolutely off the charts. And the peddler quips, what's a little fallout? Before just riding off. And it's like, oh, this town has flavor. <laughs> so we cut inside a cave. So this city is like built into the side of a mountain or a cliff. So there's lots of like cave architecture. Mm-hmm. And there are people yelling coming through and a short bald man comes in. He's flanked by guards. So he's clearly like some high muckety-muck here. And I- I'm going to do my best to describe these outfits because they are bonkers. He is wearing like this pole strapped to his back because he's short and the pole goes right up to above his head and just above his head is like a doll's head, like a large doll's head affixed to the pole with like long hair and the guy's bald. So he's like he has two heads, one on top of the other if you're looking straight at him. That's weird. It's very weird. <laughs> this movie has so much style. Like I, I love the, the stack in this movie is so much fun. They do a really good job of just like embracing the how weird can we make these outfits? I'm sure somebody had fun sitting down and drawing all these costumes. Oh, absolutely. So now we cut to Max who goes up to an official at a desk who's like, do you have anything to trade? What's your business here? And Max says he's just looking for some Somebody. He needs just to go in for an hour to find this guy. And they go back and forth about if Max has any business to do or not. And finally, Max offers to trade his skills. And the man's like, sorry, brothel's full. <laughs> and Max takes that personally and grabs him. At which point, one of the mannequin heads, like, guard henchman guy steps forward and does, like, a bunch of weapon flourishes, a la Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark kind of thing. Uh-huh. And Max pulls out a shotgun and it shoots the hat off the guy. So, like, feathers go flying everywhere. It's a big hat with a big feather thing on top because everybody's got great hats in this movie. (laughs) Okay. 
And he pulls another gun and points at the guy behind the desk and is like, seriously, I just need to go in. Let me in. And the man's like, all right, it seems you do have some skills. Maybe you could trade 24 hours of your life and we'll make sure you get back everything that's owed to you. And Max is like, sounds good to me. So the guy leads Max inside where Max is first required to check a comical amount of weapons he has on his body, which is just like a bunch of guns and a crossbow at some weapons check station because it's the law. So they're tra- he's trading time to be able to enter yeah. into the city. Yeah, he's basically trading his labor for getting all his merchandise that was stolen back. Okay. Makes sense to me. Labor is something you trade for compensation, so... Yes, no, it makes sense. I was just making sure I was following the logic of the movie. Oh, don't worry. That's, it's all going to be irrelevant in a moment. <laughs> oh, okay. Never mind then. So they move through the caves and the outside into a crowded area that's just stylish as heck. Like I said, this movie really has the aesthetic down. And briefly, the camera focuses on the pith hat guy who's hiding in the crowd, and like a weird hunch guy in a cape and a cane who's selling Max's camels, and Max is like, hey, those are my camels. But the other dude, the, like, the guy who's behind the desk just like, drags Max towards, like, don't worry about it. We get business to do. And he takes Max to an elevator, and they take it up into this sort of like, think like the space needle, but short. Okay. So it's like a big round room on top of a pole. <laughs> a treehouse almost that's covered in these sheer curtains and there's some sexy sax music playing while they're in this room. Is there always in 90s movies? This is an 80s movie. 80s movies. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? It went straight into the 90s. (laughs) Okay. Like 90 to 95, there's a lot of sexy sax music in movies. <laughs> I, I'm not objecting to sexy sax music. It's fun to say. It's fun to listen to. <laughs> so the person playing the sax is a man in a diaper because why not? And <laughs> <laughs> That's a choice. You think they just pick somebody off the street. They're like, hey, you, you've got no, style. I- Come play this music for us. This movie, like I said, everybody has an outfit that is a statement. (laughs) But the diaper man is interrupted with his sax playing as Max enters the room. And so the official goes off behind a curtain and talks to somebody. And he's like, we found somebody. We think it will work. And the curtain parts and out comes Tina Turner. Who is the the other star of the film. (laughs) Yes. That explains why her songs are in this movie, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tina Turner is the big name star of this film, next to, of course, Mel Gibson. Was she in a lot of other movies? I have no idea about Tina Turner's filmography. Because I've only seen her in like one or two things. I'm just curious if she had a whole run I didn't know about. It's certainly possible. This was I maybe her biggest film, I think, or at least one of her most famous, for sure. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. So Tina Turner. And I'll get into what she's wearing in a moment, but she comes out and says, but he's just a raggedy man. And I'm loving it. <laughs> and she's wearing like a post-apocalyptic 80s power suit. Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, those, those clearly made it to post-apocalyptic society. <laughs> so the post, like it, it's power suit, but it's all chain mail. There are no pants, so it's like a leotard. And it has like big chain mail shoulder pads. I was going to ask if there were shoulder pads. Yeah, that's exactly why it looks like an 80s, like from the waist up, it's 80s power suit. From the waist down, it's a chain mail bikini. <laughs> it's great. So many good outfits in this movie. And her name, which I don't remember if they actually mentioned it in the, like there are a lot of names in this movie that they don't actually mention the characters' names, or at least I did not catch them, but her name is Anti-Entity. Anti-Entity. Okay. Do you think there's a whole behind the scenes footage of them trying to say Anti-Entity over and over again? So I'll get into this a bit later, but everyone in this movie talks with an Australian accent, with the exception of Tina Turner. Uh-huh. And everyone also has like this sort of patois going on where there's like, some of them are more pronounced than others. So it's kind of hard to tell what they're saying explicitly, but you get the gist of it. <laughs> that's, a not, that's a choice that they made. <laughs> so it's just like clear, like they have like a very strong dialect in this movie. Mm-hmm. And when we get to the group of kids who are mentioned in the description, they have probably the strongest patois and it's sort of difficult to understand what they're saying at times. But again, you get the gist of where they're going. Is it an actual or is it no. just for the it's movie? It's made up. It's definitely made up. Okay. <laughs> 100% made up. At least they're consistent across the board. No, because everyone's talking this patois differently. <laughs> anyway, so... Entity inquires about what Max did before, and he's like, oh, I was a cop. And she's like, well, I was a nobody, but I was someone who survived, which made me somebody. And she's like, I built this town, I worked hard, I made this, and now look at me. Does she sing in this movie? Unfortunately, no. She doesn't do a performance what? in the movie. Really? But like, her songs are featured. Seems like a waste. <laughs> sure. I, I, again, it wouldn't necessarily be completely out of tone to have <laughs> so a random totally musical number in. in the post-apocalyptic Mad Max film, but, you know, she, sure. She could sing at the local bar or something. (laughs) 
She's the leader of this town. So? She could do whatever <laughs> she wanted. Like, I'm doing show tunes in the middle of the apocalyptic Australian desert. Okay, I've only seen two Mad Max movies, but both of them could have musical numbers, and I don't think I would have blinked an eye. So, again, I said it could fit. Like, they could do it. This movie is so tonally inconsistent and crazy. Like... Sure, why not? It could fit. It could be just be so over the top that it would work. So yes, I agree. That is a missed opportunity. But also, I feel like her character wouldn't sing. Yeah, well, I guess points to them for keeping it within character in a Mad Max movie. <laughs> this movie knows who its characters are, Danielle. <laughs> okay. So she offers him some fruit as the sax music resumes. And as he bends down to take some of the fruit from the plate, all the guards attack. Just completely attack him. Why? Well, just wait. Oh, sorry. <laughs> And Max easily, like, takes him out. He throws the plate at one of them, the metal serving tray of fruit at one of them. And he, like, takes him out and he defeats them until a mannequin guy puts a rope, like a, a rope on a stick around his neck and catches him. And then Mad Max pulls out a knife from the handle of a spatula he had on his body. <laughs> he had a spatula on his body? Because it wasn't a weapon. He didn't surrender it. So, like, his way of sneaking a, a knife into it was a, <laughs> like, an umbrella sword, but it's a spatula knife. What? Who carries around a spatula? <laughs> this man. He's prepared. <laughs> Just in case he needed a knife inside of a spatula. Just because he needed to sneak a knife in somewhere. It worked, Danielle. <laughs> it did. Can't sorry. Argue with I results. I'm sorry. You're right. It worked. Should, should so he cuts it. the rope off his neck and he throws mannequin head guy out a window. Does he die or does he come back later? Oh, he's, he's clinging to the rim of the window and climbs back in in a moment. Okay, good. It seemed a waste to like get rid of mannequin head guy. Mannequin doll head, whatever. Yeah, he's great. I love him. He's my favorite. Anti-entity, like, stops things and tells him, congratulations, you're the first to survive the audition. Okay. And so... Okay. <laughs> Anti tells him about how she built Bartown. She brought order and hope and civilization to these people, and she needs him to kill a man to protect the town. Like, she's like, I'll do anything to protect this town, including killing a man. It seems like she's killed lots of people, though. Wait for it. She's not done with her speech yet, Daniel. Sorry. Okay. Sorry, Tina. Continue on. So she'll re-equip him. She'll give him everything he lost back and more, but she needs him to do it because the man she wants to kill is also high up in the barter town hierarchy. And so it'd be politically suicidal for, like, anti-entity to challenge him directly or have him, like, assassinated. So she can't be seen as been involved in his death. But people know that this guy, like Max, came into her place, right? I think they've kept it sort of like down low so far. Okay. And not, again, they're not hiding it, but like as long as she has plausible deniability, that's enough to like avoid having, you know, like, oh, it was him. You know, we met, we talked, but we didn't actually, you know, I didn't tell him to do anything. Okay. Don't worry, Danielle. This is all going to be irrelevant. <laughs> I'm glad you're telling me then. Seems very important. But it's important to understand why they're doing anything in the first place. So Max agrees to the terms and asks who's the target. And I, and I think he says, who's the bunny? <laughs> Which again, is part of this like weird slang patois they have. And so Anti-Entity takes him to a periscope, but it goes down instead of up. And it looks into a room that's like an underground cavern that's full of pigs. Just so many pigs. And she explains that this is Underworld. It is where Bartertown gets its electricity from the methane from the pig poop. <laughs> so this is what makes Bartertown so advanced because they have... Pig poop? Power. Yes, pig power. They have electricity, which many other cities and towns don't. Out of curiosity? Yeah, I mean, methane is the thing. You could burn the methane gas to power turbines, I'm sure. With enough pigs? Enough, enough pigs, you can power the world, Danielle. <laughs> I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> I'm sure it would work. I don't know if it's the most efficient way to do it, or if the pigs could be used more effectively as a food source or something, but there you go. Maybe they use both. Probably. So Entity points out the target, who is a dwarf, who is riding around in like a backpack seat, who is being carried by this giant dude. Mm -hmm. And they are a unit. The little one is called Master, and the brains of the operation, he runs Underworld, and he controls the power and the methane to the city. And the big one is called Blaster, and he's the muscle. And I don't know if you remember the movie slash book Freak the Mighty? No, not at all. All right. Well, then I won't mention it again, but <laughs> it just reminded me of that sort of pairing of a person who is smart, but physically weak with someone who is strong, but not very smart. Of course. So they want Max to kill the muscle, but preserve the brains because they need him to help maintain the methane production. They don't like the fact that he's kind of uppity and he's kind of arrogant and he's sort of like muscling in to try to take control of the town. And with this muscle behind him, no one can really challenge him. So there's not a single other person who could replace this muscle man if he died? Well, I mean, he is like loyal to Master. Like they are, they are a pair. Right. So there's not a muscle man who is bound to him like that. Sure. 
I'll go with it. Like all they know is that if they get rid of the muscle, he can be easily coerced or intimidated if Blaster isn't there protecting him. So they install Max in the pig poop factory as a pig poop scooper <laughs> so he can get closer and scrutinize and size up Blaster. A pooper scooper? Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Danielle, for saying exactly what I said. <laughs> You're welcome. But cuter. <laughs> uh... Okay, whatever. <laughs> uh, that was even necessary. I should also point out that Blaster wears like this big metal helmet, almost like a diving helmet. So he is totally obscured from the neck up, but he wears like almost nothing from the waist down. So it's like bare <laughs> chest, bare legs, loincloth kind of thing, leather straps across his chest. So, you know, keep that aesthetic strong. Excellent. I appreciate your descriptions of the clothing. It is probably one of the most iconic parts of this movie. Like, it's the thing that you notice the most is how awesome and strong the design is. So Max is down there scooping the pig poop and he goes up to like approach Master Blaster, but he doesn't quite get up there because they're talking to someone else. And then Max is pulled away by a man who is called Pig Killer. That seems very descriptive. Well, he is a convict who was convicted of killing a pig to feed his family. So he got life in the pig scooping mines as punishment. That's pretty hardcore. Well, you know, that again shows how this is a post-apocalyptic world, Danielle. It's very hardcore. I know. And the pigs are very important, central to they their are. philosophy and style. Or at least their power generation. Right. So a little while later, Master Blaster go up to a man in a leather codpiece <laughs> who is working on disarming a bomb in a truck. I don't know why there's a bomb in this truck, but there <laughs> like, is. Um... <laughs> But he's trying to figure out how to disable it. And he's like, well, I can do this, I can do that. I can disconnect the battery. That'll work. And then Max walks up and goes, I wouldn't do that if I were you. And Master says, who you? You smart. And again, Master talks like that throughout the entire film in this weird affected speech. I don't know why. Because nobody else talks like that, right? No one. <laughs> he talks like a caveman throughout the entire movie. It's so weird. So Max tells him that it's his car, and he won't disarm it without payment. He's like, what would you give me to disarm then? And Master's like, I am in charge here. And he has, like, Blaster pick up Max and hold him by the throat. But Max is, like, dismissive. Like, if you're in charge, why are you down here with all the pig poop? And Master's like, it's not pig poop, it's energy. <laughs> and Max's like, well, it smells the same to me. Valid and so point. Master's like, to prove it, embargo. And he shuts off the methane production to Bartertown. <laughs> Just to prove it to this one dude down below, question him. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> so he shuts on the power, and the power all goes down, and he waits, and then Anti-Entity calls him and is like, Master, what's going on? I thought we discussed this. No more embargoes. <laughs> like, knock it off. <laughs> <laughs> She's very much, like, over this. Well, if he does it every time somebody's, like, a little snarky or, you know, steps on his foot or something, and he's like, yeah, I'm yeah. turning it off. <laughs> This is his, like, temper tantrum style. <laughs> and so he's like, who run Barter Town? And Anti-Entity is like, you know who runs it. And he's like, say it. Say who run Barter Town. Tina Turner, clearly. <laughs> and Tina Turner's like, Master Blaster. Master Blaster runs Barter Town. And Master, like, broadcasts this through loudspeakers at the entire city just to, like, prove that he is the one who was in charge here who runs Barter Town. So he has a speaker system down here, too? Well, apparently everywhere throughout <laughs> the entire city. There's, like, a PA system. Nice. I told you, most advanced city in the post-apocalyptic Australia wasteland. yeah. So now we see really why Auntie Anthony wants him dead because he's really very <laughs> much pushing his luck. Because he's obnoxious. Exactly. So point proven, Max sets about disarming his car but also sets off the car alarm by accident, which drives Blaster crazy with the noise. Like, he just freaks out. And then Max shuts off the car alarm, but blows his little whistle thing that also makes Blaster freak out, which is... Convenient. Oh, yeah. It's very convenient that he found that whistle the monkey tossed out of his car that was stolen. <laughs> Shoes and a whistle. Just what he needed. Pretty much. So, after discovering the whistly weakness of Blaster, <laughs> Max quickly skedaddles. He just leaves. Did you write that down just so you could say that? What, skedaddles? No, whistly weakness. I no, actually, I wrote down skedaddles, but not whistly weakness. Because <laughs> That's impressive. I Good job, Sam. Thank you. I'm actually pretty proud of that. <laughs> <laughs> The things I write down are not as good as the things I think of on the spot, unfortunately. <laughs> this is where we learn that Mac will have to challenge Blaster to a battle in the Thunderdome. Because he goes back up to talk to 
anti-entity is like, okay. Why? So anti-entity is like, look, what you have to do is challenge him. You can't just go around killing people because that's against the law. How would anybody know it was him? If he killed somebody? Yeah. What if he just like low-key killed him and then got his stuff and left? How would anybody know? I don't know. I think anti-entity wants us to make a big public defeat to show that like she has the real power or that or at least that Master and Blaster don't have the real power. Well, she's not taking any credit for it, right? So she can't, it doesn't prove that she has the power. It still destroys Master's credibility. If he is publicly shown to lose his muscle, then no one can take him seriously. No one will like support him anymore. I kind of get that, but I also think that's a really convoluted way to make it happen. But okay. Danielle, really, this is just an excuse (laughs) to get the Thunderdome involved. Let's not quibble about that. Like she could just assassinate him or something. It doesn't matter. But no, she wants Thunderdome. We're going to get Thunderdome. The movie is called Thunderdome. Yeah, it really seems like they had the Thunderdome and then worked backwards from there. (laughs) Quite possibly. So she tells him, you'll have to battle Master in Thunderdome as per the law. It's about the death where anything goes. So why are they? Why did they pick Max and not like anybody else? Well, he's not the first person they brought in to do this, obviously. So it's like a frequent thing that he's, that Master's Blaster, whatever, <laughs> was put into the Thunderdome and then has Blaster to- has been put into the Thunderdome before and he has always been victorious. Okay. He is just the latest who has apparently passed the audition or maybe only the only person who passed her audition to challenge Master and Blaster. And I'm sure Blaster has killed other people in Thunderdome who are just not part of Tina Turner's plot, but just regular disputes. So this is just like a normal thing to do when there's a dispute is you go into Thunderdome and beat it out. That is the thing to do when there's a dispute. Okay. Why are so many post-apocalyptic societies, why do so many of them have some kind of like epic battle <laughs> royale <laughs> as the like the thing that you have to do to settle all disputes because it's awesome highlander you set him into the future hunger games <laughs> you make children battle to the death <laughs> uh danielle it, because a it's awesome but b they have some weak justification which we'll get to in a minute <laughs> okay <laughs> so there's a big parade slash party happening in Bartertown for some reason with Master Blaster riding around on Max's car like the Grand Marshal of a parade. Why? Great question. No idea. <laughs> is the saxophonist there? Saxophonist is not there that, that I'm aware seems of. like a shame. Well, I, I think it'd be too loud for her to hear his sultry sax tones <laughs> over the crowd. At least have him walking around in his diaper. <laughs> Maybe he was. I didn't see him in the crowd. It's like, where's Waldo? <laughs> yeah, basically. Where's Diaper and Sax Boy? So Max pushes his way through the crowd. Is like, hey, that's my car. I want it back. And he climbs up on the car. And Master's like, no, it's my car. And Blaster grabs Max around the throat. And then he calls up to Anti-Entity to invoke Thunderdome. And she says, you know the law. Two men enter. One man leaves. You will have Thunderdome. Dun, dun, dun. So now we get to the catchphrase of Thunderdome. Two men enter, one man leaves. Be prepared to hear that a lot in this movie. Is that the tagline to Mad Max? I don't know, but it's certainly the tagline to Thunderdome. Do we ever see the guy in the airplane again and his kid? Oh, absolutely. Oh, good. Okay. I wouldn't mention him otherwise. <laughs> So, again, I can't describe how much style this movie has. There's peppy music playing, everybody's chanting Auntie's name, and she has, like, a zipline chair that brings her from her <laughs> Space Needle treehouse down to the Thunderdome box seat. That's amazing. Yeah, it's, it's great. And she's like, welcome to another edition of Thunderdome! Like, it's a big old TV show. <laughs> Well, what else do you have to do in Bartertown? <laughs> exactly. And so, if I haven't described it yet, Thunderdome is like a giant metal cage dome. So it's huge, it's metal, it's got crosshatch squares, and people just climb up all up onto the top of it and are like hanging on the walls watching it, and that's how they're observing Thunderdome. So the weird hunchback guy with the cape and the cane comes in as the MC of this thing, is introducing Thunderdome. He's like, this is how we keep our fighting and disputes contained. While we have arguments, we sell them here so they don't spill out into chaos in the rest of Bartertown. It says a lot about this movie that I forgot that that character existed until you mentioned him again. Yeah, I'll tell you his name at the end of the movie because I didn't learn their names until I read the credits. <laughs> but they're amazing. And so while he's talking, a bunch of like ring girls, you know, girls in bikinis or whatever, are hanging up weapons around the walls I don't know what I thought you meant by Thunder ring Domes. girls, but that was not it. <laughs> it's like actual rings? What are ring girls? <laughs> Like boxing ring. I know, I got it as soon as he said the bikinis. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> no, the ring girls from the horror movie. I, with like, the I weird went through hair. a lot of things in my head, Sam. One of the things was the horror movie. <laughs> and I knew none of Boy. those were correct. I just wasn't sure what you meant. <laughs> well, I'm glad we came to the right conclusion eventually. 
Rain girls, go ahead. <laughs> so they're hanging weapons up like chainsaws and giant mallets and halberds and beers and... So you get like weapons in this Thunderdome? Anything goes, Danielle. That's wild. Okay. Yeah. So Pith Helmet Guy is there in the crowd watching. So we see him briefly. And then Max and Blaster enter Thunderdome and they strap in Max and Blaster into these like harnesses that have bungee cords attached to them. So they're like bouncing around Thunderdome. So like they're like sprung up to the roof so they can jump up and like get to the roof and then jump back down. It's such an 80s movie. It is so 80s. <laughs> and it's so goofy that they like bounce around. I love it. So they haul Max and Blaster back like like with their slingshots. And they're like, all right. Go! They let them go and they fly at each other and they collide. It's just so, like, weird and goofy. It's like pinball and they're just, like, fighting in midair. It's so great. It's like a Cirque du Soleil meets clumsy fighting post-apocalyptic world. (laughs) I'd like to sink the Cirque du Soleil, Saw, Thunderdome, or any of the Mad Max movies and was like, I have the best idea. (laughs) (laughs) That'd be great. What if we took out the (laughs) post-apocalyptic nonsense and just had, like, the Thunderdome? (laughs) I'm in. So Max is getting his butt kicked at first. Blaster's just like bouncing on him, throwing him around, punching him. And Max drops his whistle. Oh no, Uh his ace in the hole. He should have more whistles on him. He should have bartered for some whistles. Would just a normal whistle work? Like if he put his fingers in his mouth and whistled? Probably not, because they make a big deal about this whistle. (laughs) Also, it's probably hard to whistle while you're getting your butt kicked. Yeah, maybe. Well, you can try it, Danielle. Go get someone to beat you up while you try whistling. (laughs) No, I'm good, thanks. All right, then. So Blaster grabs a spiked mace off the wall of Thunderdome, and Max manages to grab a chainsaw that quickly runs out of gas and is useless. The sound of the chainsaw doesn't bother him. It's just the sounds of, like, the horns and the whistles. Just the high-pitched sort of screechy noises. Okay. Is there a chalkboard around he could use? If I eat this seriously, then why are you even here? Sorry. Chainsaw runs out of gas. Continue on. There you go. <laughs> Max then grabs like a pike and cuts Blaster's bungee so he's grounded. And then Max is also get his bungees cut by Blaster. But he does manage to grab the whistle, which incapacitates Blaster. And while Blaster is like grabbing his head and screaming, Max takes a giant metal mallet and just goes to town on him. <laughs> like bashes him across the head, knocks his helmet off. And as Blaster is lying on his back, completely defeated, and Max is going for the killing blow, he hesitates because he looks at Blaster's face. It's like the face of a baby, like a child. Okay. Like an actual child or just a young looking person? Like, like, a, like it looks like a baby's face on an adult spot. Okay. It's like the actor, is that how they actually looked or was there some kind of I don't know. Effect? I didn't look it up. <laughs> I'm just curious. <laughs> I have no idea. We can Google them later. <laughs> but Max hesitates and that's when Master runs in. He's like, no, no, he has the mind of a child. Just look at his face. I'm so sorry, Blaster. And he's clearly so distraught. Aww. And then Max turns to anti-entity and goes, this wasn't part of the deal. But like, it very much it was. was. <laughs> <laughs> like, he never said, I will kill your man for you. As long as he doesn't have a baby <laughs> face or a child's mind. Like, no, that was never stipulated. You, you totally set up for this. <laughs> Should have asked more questions before he signed the deal. Yeah, right? Read the fine print there, bub. So Master is clearly not happy about some kind of, like, clandestine deal. And Master declares he's going to cut off the gas supply, destroy Barter Town. You know, you've betrayed me. And then somebody shoots Blaster with crossbow bolts until he's dead. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And Master just starts crying over the body of Blaster. And Max just turns to leave, but they won't let him out of the dome, like the guards won't. And then people start chanting, two men enter, one man leaves, (laughs) two men enter, one man leaves. Like, hey, Blaster's dead, two men entered, now one man needs to leave, guys, come on, let him go. But Auntie Auntie is not having that. She jumps down to Thunderdome and yells, you think I don't know the law? I wrote it! And she's like, this man has reneged on my deal, and you know what the law says? Bust a deal, face the wheel! (laughs) So apparently every law in this place is based on a pithy chant or rhyme. Some kind of rhyme associated with it. Yeah. Uh, I kind of feel like she's just making these up as she goes along. Like, uh, uh, bust a deal, face the wheel, cross the road, you're a toad. It's things that you can, (laughs) you can yell. That's what, that's why. It's easy to chant. You can chant. Yeah. You know, so I don't know how she went with these laws, but clearly she's like, what? Can I yell at people and they'll chant with me? Maybe she was using that group of abandoned children we haven't run into yet and they got to write all of these rules. No, they're much more articulate. <laughs> That's not true. Anyway, so they drag in this giant metal wheel into the Thunderdome and it's spinning and it has options like forfeit goods, death, acquittal, and auntie's choice, <laughs> which is a heck of a wheel. Like This is a great justice wheel if ever I saw it. 
This is crazy. It's a crazy movie. (laughs) They force Max to spin the wheel and it lands on Gulag. So Gulag is the option. That's not good. Keep that in mind as I describe what happens to him. So we cut to the next day where it looks like everyone has gathered out in the desert to put Max backwards on a horse with a giant like paper mache fake head on his head and they send him off into the desert. Okay. I don't know how that's a gulag. <laughs> <laughs> Why is there a paper mache head? That means somebody like was like, okay, we've got to get our paper mache head together no, because we're somebody like them off. made like a mascot head, like and put it on. Like there, there's planning that went into this. I don't know why any of it is necessary. If they just want to banish him, they could just throw him out in the desert. They don't need to put the paper mache head on him. <laughs> it's so unnecessary. <laughs> there's probably a little store down there that specializes in paper mache heads for banishment, and they had to like you know go what? and they want to support local businesses. Danielle, I appreciate <laughs> yeah, that. Exactly. Barter Town is all about local craftsmen. He probably like bartered for something so that he could show off his artwork. Yeah, that's what happened. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you. Paper mache head guy was like, hey, hey, can I put my, my paper mache hat on him? Please. <laughs> oh, advertising. Okay, I got you. <laughs> sure. It's being sponsored by the paper mache head guy. <laughs> yes. So many uses for all your not really gulag needs. <laughs> So that night in Barter Town, the power goes out because there's like a fire in the methane plant and they tell Master to fix it. And he's like, you run things now, you fix it. And so then they lower him by a rope into the big pig pens. And so he's like being trampled by pigs until they finally pull him out and he agrees to fix it. So they basically torture him into submission. But with his own pigs. Um, yes. So he, he believes that he like runs this town basically because he's like the power behind the power. He, he thought that while Master and Blaster were a thing, he was basically the power behind the throne. He controlled the electricity. He controlled the reason that Barter Town was so prosperous. Right. So what does he benefit from like shutting it all down? Because then he, yes, it shows that he has power over this important thing, but he then is not in charge of anything if it doesn't exist. I, I think it's just about sort of arrogance and vengeance. Like they killed his best friend, Blaster, who you loved like a brother because he was crying over the corpse. Sure, but even prior to that, like he constantly... That was just demonstration of power. That's like, why do we have trade embargoes? Sure. It's politics that's, you know, it doesn't... Yes, it hurts both sides, but that's like the point. That's how these things work. It's a fine line, though. He easily could have, well, like, at- pulled himself out of a job. Sure. And, you know, in every trade war could destroy the economy of the countries engaging in it. But they still do it anyway because that's how people work, Danielle. Okay. All right. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry that humanity bothers you so much and doesn't perform bit. to your perfectly logical <laughs> conclusions. But welcome to politics. <laughs> Jeez. If you're going to argue about human nature in the Mad Max movies, and this is not going to work. I wasn't trying to, like, make it a bigger, like, parallel to the larger universe. I was just talking about Mad Max. But that's the same thing. Like he's the reason he does it is just to flex. He's just showing he has power. There's no other reason. Okay, so he's trampled. Does that make the most sense? Maybe not, but it works. He demonstrated his power. He does. Anyway, tortured by pigs, he pulls them out. He agrees to help them. Boom. Then we cut to the convict pig killer. Oh yeah, who somehow (laughs) has the monkey from the start of the movie with him. Well, you know, the monkey's just running amok. The monkey's everywhere in this movie. I don't know why. And so he like, ties a like a water skin to the monkey's neck and sends him out through a pipe. And the monkey just heads off through the desert and somehow finds Max the next day <laughs> after the horse dies in the wasteland. How did this magic monkey find Max? I don't know. Sense, it's a tracker monkey. <laughs> yeah, it's like track sense, obviously. <laughs> yes, it tracked his scent through the desert and finds him. Either way, Max is grateful for the water and starts to hike back through the desert, but collapses a little while later. Oh no, he didn't make it. It was too late. Oh, so sad. He died. The end. The end. The end of the movie. Print. Cut. (laughs) Out. That'd be kind of funny, actually. No, 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 no. He's collapsed, but he's found by a mysterious person who drags Max back to a canyon where we find out she's a young girl, like 16, 17 looks like, mm-hmm. and she lets out like this lost boys call. Are these the abandoned children? I forgot. She lets out a lost boys call, and a bunch of kids who are living in the canyon come on out, and there's like a river in the canyon, there's like a boat, they have like a whole lost boys set up here. So yes, these are the abandoned children, they have set up their own society, there are dozens of them. If this wasn't in this, the little thing that you had sent me, this would have come out of left field for sure. I know. So I want to give you at least a little preparation. <laughs> But no, this movie, this is where the movie like feels like it changes tone immediately. It's like, oh, we're doing a hook now, are we? <laughs> and all the kids are dressed in, you know, loincloths and post-apocalyptic wear. It's crazy. And they vary in age from like older teens down to like five-year-old, six-year-olds or whatever. Okay. And so she's like, I found him. It's Captain Walker. All the kids drag Max back to the canyon and wait for him to come awake. They're calling him Walker. 
And there are just a lot of these kids, just like a whole society, and they're all talking in this very strong patois, and so they're kind of hard to understand. And they also brought the monkey, because <laughs> why not? So the monkey works for multiple people? Is that what we're saying? I don't know who the monkey works for. It was with Max in the beginning. <laughs> then somehow Pig Killer got a hold of it and gave it back to Max, who's now with the kids. <laughs> I don't know. The monkey's just there. So they cut Max's hair, and they groom him while he's passed out. And then one of the kids steals some of his hair, but that never comes back. So I don't know what that's about. <laughs> At least I didn't notice just why he stole the hair. Maybe it came up later and I missed it. <laughs> he made a little doll out of it. Something. And then Max suddenly comes to, and he's very disoriented by the literal dozens of kids looking at him. And they're all chanting, like, religiously. Could you imagine? You, like, pass out in the desert, you wake up, and there's, like, 50 kids surrounding you. Yeah. In, like, an Ewok village, it would be terrifying. <laughs> Absolutely horrifying. And so they just repeat whatever he's saying. Like, he yells, like, who are you? And they're like, who are you? Who are you? Who are you? I'm like, what is going on here? <laughs> And they just keep doing that until a teen boy ziplines down to face Max as everyone goes quiet. A lot of ziplines in this movie. <laughs> I was going to say I that. Approve. I love that there are so many ziplines. It's very exciting. I don't know why. Like, there are ziplines in Highlander 2. Was this an 80s or like early 90s thing for ziplines? I don't know. Maybe. Uh, listeners, if anybody has an exhaustive list of all movies that have random ziplines in them. Yes. We'd love to see them sorted by decade. <laughs> We're thinking that maybe the 80s and early 90s had more than other decades. It's certainly a possibility. Maybe they're like new and exciting then, part of the extreme maybe. movement. Yeah, were they like super common prior to the 80s? It's a mystery, Danielle. We may never know. <laughs> I, I'm sure if we Googled ziplines, history of. <laughs> Danielle, gosh, wow. It's, it's a mystery. It's lost to the ages. <laughs> it can never be a found out. No, nothing to learn. So anyway, <laughs> back to the not zipline part of this movie. Side check. It's okay. <laughs> It's good, you know, zip lines. They're, they're pretty gripping. I, I like zip lines. They're fun. Yeah, who doesn't? Apparently, these kids love them. So, Max asks the kids who they are and what's going on. And they're like, oh, he's testing us. Walker is testing us. So, they all gather around for story time. Oh, okay. And again, they talk in this very weird dialect. So, I'm going to try to sum up what I think the story was saying. <laughs> like, I'm but pretty basically, sure. 85% sure that this is the yeah, story. <laughs> pretty sure. Pretty sure that, like, the story is that there was the big apocalyptic nuclear blast that destroyed everything, and it was all terrible, but one person, Captain Walker, took a bunch of survivors and escaped in a plane, like a jumbo jet, but the plane crashed nearby, and the kids and the survivors found themselves in this canyon. So the kids are the survivors? Some of them. Okay. But then people started, like, missing the cities and not knowing what was going on and wanting to, like, find out what was happening, so Walker took, like, all the adults and just left on a rescue mission. Mm-hmm. They like show Max like a viewmaster where they show like, oh, it's Captain Walker. It's a pilot in some cities. Like that's their Bible. So there's a lot of weird religious stuff going on here. So they all the adults supposedly left and just left all the children behind? Something like, I mean, I don't know if all of them left. It said like, they took like 20 people onto the desert on a rescue mission, but there are literally no adults in the village. Maybe they killed them and eaten them. No, they didn't. Are Danielle. you sure? Yes, I'm sure. Are you positive? You only understood 85% of the story. I'm very positive, Danielle. <laughs> this is a cannibal movie. You don't know that. I do. Stop it. <laughs> so anyway, what actually happened in this movie is the, the adults leave, but Walker's like, hey, one of us will be back, promise, and they've been waiting for the return of Walker ever since. And they think that when Walker returns, he's going to take them back up in the plane and fly them home to the cities that they call Never Never Land. So it's very much hooked. <laughs> like, do they really call it that? <laughs> they absolutely do call it that. <laughs> oh, okay. Well... Okay. <laughs> Those poor kids. Yeah. And so they say, oh, you're Walker. And they give him a captain's hat. And Max is like, I'm not Walker. And he's like, yeah, there used to be cities. There used to be all this kind of like stuff, but it's all gone. It's all blown up. There's nothing out there for you, but a terrible place. Do they actually have pictures of Walker? No, not like actual photographs. Oh, okay. No. Wasn't sure what was They have like the viewfinder of a generic pilot. And they just like projected that onto everyone. Oh, okay. It's basically a guy with dark hair is what they have. Why do they think it's him though? He kind of looks like him and it's like the first adult they found oh, in the sure. desert. Okay. Why not? And so Max throws away the captain's hat like a frisbee, but then it like flies up as the wind picks up and there's like this choir music and this <laughs> big wind and the wind chimes are going. It's like a miracle. The hat is flying and then a kite is caught in the wind and is carried up and all the kids are like, this is it. We're going home. They all go running off into the desert thinking this is a sign. Where are they running off to? Max follows them, and the kids spill into the wasteland, and they go to the crash jumbo jet and tell Max, we're ready. It's all loaded up. You can take us home. Let's go. But Max is like, mm, 
no, and just walks away. Because, again, it's a crash jumbo jet. How is he going to fly Yeah, say if they could fly it, they would have done that earlier. The kids don't know how to fly. They're waiting for the captain to fly it. Right. But, I mean, when the adults crashed it the first time, if they could have flown it, I assume they would have fixed it and flown it again. Uh, maybe. Maybe they like the desert. Maybe. But then why did they all leave it? <laughs> leave their children behind? Maybe they like the desert more than they like the little canyon paradise with, with the river. <laughs> or their children. Possible. Anyway, back in the canyon, Max sits alone while the kids sort of argue about like whether they really have to go somewhere else or if there's anywhere else to go. And they're like, well, he may not be Captain Walker, but he came through the desert. So that clearly shows that we can go to other places, that we're not trapped here, isolated, and we can make it back to the cities. So some of them believe that he's not Captain Walker. They, they kind of figure that he's not Walker at this point, but they're still like, well, do we still want to go out and try to see if we can find where he came from and go like rejoin civilization, so to speak, because they think that there's still like something out there for them. Uh-huh. And so the girl who found Max is named Savannah, and she's the one who's like, I'm going to go out there. I'm going to, I'm sick of sitting here. I'm sick of being in this canyon. I don't want to grow old and die here. And she takes a small group of kids and is going to leave. And they're like, No, you shouldn't leave. Max is like, Don't go. It's terrible out there. The only thing you're going to find is Barter Town, which is a terrible place. And if the desert doesn't swallow you up, that place will. Yeah, they seem like they're safer in their little cavern. It seems like a real, actually, it seems pretty nice. They have water, they have food, they seem to be doing all right for themselves. Like, this is like a nice paradise. <laughs> but they don't know that. Grass is always greener, Sam. Right, exactly. They think that they are missing out on civilization and their home. So as Savannah is leaving, Max pulls out a gun, like a rifle, and he shoots some warning shots at her, but she still just ignores him and keeps going. So then he chases after her and like catches up to her and like punches her out and just knocks her out cold. <laughs> so Mel Gibson, being up a teenage girl. Nice. <laughs> Part of the plot, too. Sure. So he hauls her back down into the canyon to, like, get the rest. They shouldn't go out there. Uh, did he think he's actually going to stop them long term? Because, I mean, if she wants to no. go, she's going to go. Well, speaking of, the next morning, he learns the van and the rest of the group just left in the night. Yeah, of course. <laughs> like yeah, that. up and left. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> And all the other kids are like, you got to go get them back. You got to go save them. So Max and two of the kids go after the runaways after they just take all the water they can carry. And they follow the tracks until they hear someone calling them. It's another one of the kids, like a five or six-year-old, who had chased them through the desert and followed them. They're like, okay, welcome to the party, kid. And they just keep going. So they see the kids from the canyon, the ones who had run away. And they see that they have been captured by quicksand. So one of them is stuck in quicksand and slowly sliding over. And all the other ones are like formed a human chain and trying to pull them out. Mm -hmm. But they're losing. And so Max runs up to them and grabs the human chain and pulls it back. But no, no, the kid who was stuck in the quicksand, he couldn't hold on and he's dead. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> that was rough. Kid's dead. Poor Ralphie. Hardly Whoever knew him. Was. <laughs> yep. Gone. In the quicksand. Which I don't know how quicksand works in a desert that's dry because quicksand usually requires water, but here we are. <laughs> there might be desert quicksand. You know what? Someone should tell me that. I'd love to know about desert quicksand. Are there like underground springs that maybe cause quicksand in the desert? If there was, wouldn't the sand itself be wet too? I don't know. Maybe it's like wet up to a point and then the top layer is dry. I don't think that would work. I don't know how quicksand works. I (laughs) I mean, kind of. I know like the basics, but I don't don't know how it works in the desert if it does. Someone who does know should tell us. A hydraulic (laughs) engineer We have a lot of questions in this episode. (laughs) Yeah, well, we don't know a lot, Danielle. That's the problem. So they camp out in the desert in the middle of the night, but they get up and they see that the lights of Barter Town are off in the distance. And so Max is like, well, that's our only hope. We have to go to Barter Town if we want to survive. They can't turn around and go back? Uh, maybe they're out of water or something. Okay, sure. I don't know. So they head off to Barter Town. They sneak back in through the pipes into the underworld, the pig cage. And Max is like, we got to find Master. He's a little man, but he knows a lot. And they're like, okay. So suddenly they're not here for the water. They're here for Master. I, I don't know why. <laughs> And they see that Master is kept in a cage in the pigs. And meanwhile, some of the kids have snuck into the pig site area, you know, without everyone knowing. And they start knocking off a few of the guards with the help of Pig Killer. And they break Master out while Mannequin Head Guy is distracted by trying to fight Max and the others. I'm so confused as to why they had to find Master. It's because the plot demanded it, Danielle. <laughs> okay. Max is like, he's smart. We need a smart guy to help us. And that's literally all the excuse he has. <laughs> So this is one of the other parts where the movie just gets so weird for me, like the tone. Like, this is this gritty post-apocalyptic murder movie, but suddenly it's like a Steven Spielberg movie (laughs) or like Home Alone where this group of ragtag kids are fighting back against this evil people and like winning and like this peppy music is playing. It's like Goonies or something. (laughs) And it's so weird to have this like – if this wasn't post-apocalyptic like death and murder and stuff like that, I would say this is a family movie. Like this is like a family movie type of situation. Maybe they had two Mad Max ideas and they decided just to put them together into one movie. They had like the family Mad Max and the the gritty Mad (laughs) Max. Like, hey, let's mash them up. Australian. Well, whatever the case, 
it's kind of great that they have this weird family <laughs> post-apocalyptic movie. I'm, I'm kind of digging it. <laughs> Sounds like something I would have watched as a child and surprised they didn't. Well, you know, you still have an opportunity. Well, we're not a child anymore. You're a child at heart, Danielle. We know this. I am. That's true. <laughs> so anyway, as they're about to leave, they're discovered and the alarm goes off. And so they steal like a giant metal death truck. Uh-huh. Like your classic Mad Max vehicle. It's, you know, all sharp edges. Oh, good. We needed one of those in this movie. Yeah, but it's like a big truck, but it's on a train track. Okay. So does it go through I don't the mountains why. or underneath the city no. or whatever, wherever they are? No, they just rev up the train truck thing and they bust out through the walls of the barter town, straight out into the desert, and they're just train tracks going through the desert, well maintained <laughs> like for some reason. Actual train tracks after they bust yeah, it's through on a, wall? a train track. It's a train. But like with a truck instead of a locomotive. Why does it go through the wall? Because they drive through the wall. I don't know. Like they, it was. Why do the train tracks go through the wall? I, my, I guess is like they sealed this thing up in here. I think they've been using it to power to help power Barter Town. Like this is part of their power generation system. But I don't know why the train tracks were so well maintained. They could just drive off into the desert <laughs> on them. Okay, they're desert train tracks. Look, the point is, they need to get a train out into the desert, so they do, and like, Bartertown just starts exploding. Like, they cut through all the methane lines, there's fire and explosions everywhere, the walls are crumbling, it's totally wrecking the place. <laughs> the point is, they needed to put a train in the desert. <laughs> yep. It was a requirement of the plot. Not the plot, <laughs> of, this, of the action set piece we're about to get to. <laughs> Okay, trains in the desert. So the train's going away, but there's chaos in Bartertown. An anti-entity gets all everyone's attention. Like, hey, where are you going to go? There's nowhere else. Bartertown will survive. We can rebuild. Bring me back that little man and kill the others. This would be the perfect time for a musical number. <laughs> no, it wouldn't. <laughs> They've got stuff to do, Danielle. they got to get their genius person back. Just saying. <laughs> a musical number here would merely slow them down because they have a chase to go on. Well, you could have the musical number be set to the backdrop of more train action. No. <laughs> okay, but I think it'd be better. Okay, well, you can think that, Danielle, and you're entitled to think that, but you're wrong. <laughs> I don't think I am. Uh, I'm thinking a musical number would be great. I think this is the wrong time for it. <laughs> So they're racing through the desert. So begins the desert car chase scene that was clearly the inspiration for Mad Max Fury Road, Mm -hmm. which was an amazing movie. And so they saw this, they're like, hey, what if we just did that for the entire movie? And yeah, love it. Great. (laughs) Worked out well for him. Yeah. So you haven't seen Fury Road, do so. It's great. So the train truck thing is off through the desert. They're being traced by post-apocalyptic buggies that are all decked out in weird things. Like one's got cow pattern all over it for some reason. (laughs) Just weird post-apocalyptic buggies. And they're being chased by these people. And the dollhead guy is using like a handcart on the tracks to chase them. (laughs) And somehow is catching up. To the powered train using a handcart. <laughs> so I love him. He's great. Superpowers. And so some of the people jump onto the train and start like, knocking people off the train. They knock Max off the train onto one of the buggies and Max steals one of the buggies. I'm not going to be able to describe this epic car chase scene in any way that's going to be coherent or does it justice. It's something you just have to see, really. So I'm just going to sort of skim it and cover the highlight. Okay. Duly noted. But the best part by far is the dollhead guy who catches up to the train on his, on his hand truck. <laughs> As one On does. his hand cart. Yep. And he like gets into one of the buggies. So somehow he's on the handcart so they could get to one of the buggies. I don't know why they just took him to the buggy to begin with, but here we are. And he harpoons the driver, who is Pig Killer, through the leg, through one of the doors, before Max comes up in a buggy he stole and shoves the buggy with Dollhead Guy off onto the tracks where it is hit by the train <laughs> and explodes. And then Dollhead Guy is like screaming and caught on the cow catcher of the train. He's like, ah! And he's like pinned to the front of the train on the cow catcher as they drive off. <laughs> So the kids and master attempt to escape to the front end, the truck part from the back car of the train. And Auntie Entity's on there and he, she grabs master and disconnects the train car. So she's like escaping with master. But then Max grabs master and jumps onto the front of the locomotive and they drive off, appearing to have escaped. And all the kids are left behind? No, they're all on the front of the train. Oh, okay. But oh no, Dollhead Guy climbs up off the cow catcher and attacks. The children? Yeah, but they quickly push him off and he's like hanging off a pipe. Like off the side of the train, and he's doing like some physical comedy. Like there are these <laughs> posts, and he like does a little chin ups, like oh, there's a post, oh, huh, huh, 
And he's like dodging these things that are coming after us. He's hanging off the side of the train. And then one of the kids takes a hacksaw and cuts the pipe and he falls off the train. But the train's over a bridge for some reason. It just falls off into this canyon. I don't know what's down there. It just cut away and disappears as he falls. Does he ever come back? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> of course. He survived. Should have known. Sorry. Again, this is very much Home Alone. Like the kids are like cutting the pipe while he's like, oh, no, don't do that. And he like falls. It's like a cartoon. I don't know what's going on. It's great. <laughs> So they all escape. Yay! But oh no, there's a barrier up ahead, just a bunch of dirt piled up on the train tracks, and it's a little kid in the pith helmet on it holding some guns, and he's like, <laughs> this is a stick-up! And the train pulls to a stop, and then he's like, you know, I'm gonna kill you all if you don't give me what I- And then he looks behind them, and he sees them being chased by all the people from Bardentown, and he's like, time to go! And the kid skedaddles. And like runs down to this tunnel, like the escape tunnel he has, and Max and the rest of the kids and Master go chasing after him. What was the plan of this child? That like did they he just saw the train coming and was like, I'm gonna rob yeah. the train. Yeah. Okay. Kids ambitious. <laughs> yes. Like had no context for why the train was in the desert. Nope. Why was he so far into the desert? This is where they live. Okay, sure. So he goes to this little escape hole and Max and the kids follow him. They go down to these series of tunnels where there's like a bedroom set up and these and everything and his dad is down there. He's like, Dad, we gotta go. We gotta go. We're, we're so dead. And then Max comes in. He's like, oh, you. Today's your lucky day because you have a plane and it's going to save your life. <laughs> so he's like, get in the plane. We're all going to use it to escape. So How many kids are with them? Uh, at least like eight. I thought it was a little prop plane. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, how? <laughs> Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I have so many questions aerodynamically. <laughs> no, this is, so they get on the play and they're and they're just like it's too heavy. I can't take off. So Max cuts away like some nets that had a bunch of random junk on them, like all his stuff he stole, and they're heading off towards the end of the runway and they don't get enough speed to go off of it to take off. But as they're driving the plane down the runway, oh no, everyone else comes up in their buggies. It's Dollhead Guy and he's got his buggy and he's chasing them and he's determined to catch up to So Max. he not only got out of the river or whatever he fell into. Well, he got right back into a buggy. Yeah, yeah he absolutely. Like, up. He caught up with the other people, got into a buggy and like caught up with them. Well, the them. other people caught up to him. He was like, the train was way out pacing anti-entity and, and the Barter Town crew. So conveniently timed, he climbed out and happened to be yep. seen by the buggies. Yep. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yep, Dollhead Guy is great. So the plane reaches the end of the runway, which is a cliff, because sure, <laughs> yeah, and turns around to try again, but the pursuers are heading right for them, and the pilot's like, there's not enough runway for us to take off. There's not enough runway between us and them. We're not going to make it. And Max is like, don't worry about it. There will be enough. And he gets out and takes a big truck and starts driving down the runway at the pursuers. So it's like a game of chicken with the plane right behind the big truck that Max is driving. Okay. And so Max is heading right for Dollhead Guy in his truck. And just at the last minute, he bails out of his car. His car crashes into Dollhead Guy, sending it flying and explode just as the plane <laughs> takes off okay. with all the kids and everything on board. There is no way a tiny little like two-seater, even a four-seater like plane is going to take off with that many people inside of it. Danielle? It does. I, I really don't think it does. I mean, maybe if they were very tiny children. Nope. <laughs> no. Weight-wise, it's, it's just, it's very unlikely. No, it's absolutely nonsense that this plane takes off. There's no way it could ever be able to hold that many people. But it does. So here we are. Okay. The plane takes off. Max is lying on the ground. We see Dollhead Guy's been crushed under his car, and his last act in this world is to raise a middle finger at Max before dying. Yeah, of course. Why not? Sure. So Max is then surrounded by Auntie Entity and all her men. Entity just says, well, ain't we a pair, raggedy man? <laughs> Goodbye, soldier. And just leaves. <laughs> just like. That's too much effort. Peace out. She's like, I chased you all the way through the desert. I've lost many people. My town is destroyed. And uh, I guess we're done here. It's all right. <laughs> cool. Bye. You win. <laughs> so Max is once again all alone. And we cut back to the group of kids flying off through their little plane. And they're going through this giant dust cloud. On the other side of this dust cloud, they find the ruins of Sydney. Aww. Half buried by the desert. What happened to all the other kids who were back in that canyon? Who knows? Probably still there. <laughs> 
<laughs> so sad. And so then there's some closing narration by Savannah, who's like, you need to listen and remember about how some of us got the luck and headed for home and here and how sad we were about things used to be and how we miss all the great cities and how great they used to be, but we can still remember and we still try to rebuild and we remember the man that found us and saved us and we like the city, not just for him, but for everyone out there who might find us. And she's like holding a baby. She's a lot older now and there's a bunch of babies in the crowd. So could they're like rebuilding civilization here. And then we see like a superposition of Max walking through the desert as she's talking, fade out. The end. So these eight children rebuilt civilization. There's like eight or whatever, <laughs> plus the dad. And maybe they more of them came over. I don't know. <laughs> maybe more of them saw the lights that they were lighting in Sydney and came to, to find out and, and join their civilization. That's an insane ending. <laughs> yep. <laughs> like... So Max is still wandering alone in the desert. All the kids and the pith helmet guy and his son they all escaped to Sydney and have been trying to rebuild civilization from there. Wow. Well. <laughs> yeah. That's quite quite the movie, Sam. I don't know what to say to that. It really defies explanation, doesn't it? <laughs> were there how many more Mad Max movies were there after that? I think just Fury Road really? was, was the next one. So it's only been I the, could be wrong. The four? I think so. That's wild. Uh, I mean, again, if I'm wrong, please let me know because I have some movies to watch. Then <laughs> like, I have more Mad Max movies I need to watch. So as I mentioned, I didn't really catch the names of all the characters in the movie, like what was happening. And I don't know if I just missed it or they didn't mention them as much, but their names are really great. So some of the names are, of course, Max Rakitansky, <laughs> obviously. Rakitansky, not Rakitansky. <laughs> it's funnier with pants. It's not, because remember, safety dance. <laughs> we don't need pants. Also Australian. So anti-entity, of course. Uh, there's Jedediah, who is the pilot guy, and his son, Jedediah Jr. <laughs> Good. I'm glad they stuck with the name. Yep. There's the collector, who was the guy Max talked to when he first came to Bartertown and was like, hey, do you have anything to trade? Mm -hmm. Not a great name. <laughs> there's Master and Blaster, of course. There is Iron Bar Bassey, who was the person with the doll head. <laughs> okay. Yep. Uh, there was Savannah. And the other teen boy, who was the other one who first talked to Max, his name was Slake Mathurst. <laughs> Slake Mathurst. <laughs> Slick Mathurst. <laughs> that sounds like there should have been like a spinoff with him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a spinoff name if I've ever heard one. There was someone called Blackfinger. I don't know who that was. <laughs> there was the guy with the, with the hunch and the cane. His name was Dr. Dealgood. <laughs> and there was someone called Tauntaun Tattoo. And I don't know who that was either. <laughs> Really he might have been the sax player. Oh, I hope so. Yeah. Sax player definitely deserved a name. So yeah, that's Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. I don't know what I thought. I thought there'd be more in the Thunderdome. More Thunderdome, <laughs> right. right? There was a pretty little fun. There was one Thunderdome fight. I'm like, no, but the title did warn you. This is Beyond Thunderdome. We're not going to spend time in Thunderdome. <laughs> that's true. It did say in the title. <laughs> right. What an interesting choice, Beyond Thunderdome. Right? Like, what do you mean Beyond? Like, is there more Thunderdome? <laughs> is there a bigger dome around the Thunderdome? Is there a Megadome? Maybe they really were thinking like the Thunderdome kind of started all of the rest of the movie. So perhaps that was the thought process behind naming it. Kind of. Like the Thunderdome was the impetus for Max and Blaster getting their fight on. But also like it wasn't really. It was more Tina Turner as anti-entity who arranged everything. Like she was the real person who put the plot in motion by taking Max and ensnaring him in this plot of her political machinations. Sure, but beyond anti-entity doesn't sound as good as beyond Thunderdome. <laughs> it's certainly hard to say. <laughs> also, I really want anti-entity to write more laws. <laughs> I know. Those were good ones. Two men enter, one man leave. Bust the deal. Face the wheel. Like, what else you got? Tell me more. I am listening. I kind of just want to watch that movie for Tina Turner in that role. She's wonderful. It's great. And uh, I should actually make a correction. They don't call it Never Neverland. They call it Tomorrow Morrowland. <laughs> okay, well, that's the completely kids. different. <laughs> it's not. You understand it's why I got that confused. All. It's the exact yeah, no, it's the same, same thing. thing. Yeah, okay. But I know someone's going to tweet at me if I don't say that. So there you go. <laughs> it's too late. They already did while they were listening to the podcast. And now they're like, oh, man, I already sent it. Well, whatever. <laughs> I'm okay with that. <laughs> Well, thank you for sharing, Sam. That was that is an amazing choice. Did it stand up to all the other Mad Max films you've seen? All two of the, the parent one four. Other. 
I've seen two. Oh, that's right. Mad Max and Fury Road, yep. yes. So, uh, completely different than Fury Road. Like, Fury Road has completely different... Like, this is by far the goofiest Mad Max, I think. Yeah, it makes you want to see it, though. It's, it's kind of really fun. It's a, it's a really fun movie. I feel like the movies are really hard to remember because the plot... There's, like... That seemed like it had oh. more plot than the other two. No, like, before I watched it just again for this, I could not have told you the plot of this movie. I'm like, there's a Thunderdome, another bunch of kids. I don't know why anyone's doing anything. <laughs> like, I didn't remember that anti entity had enlisted Max to do this weird political assassination. I didn't remember why Max went back for Master. I knew he went back for him, but I had no idea why. I still don't know why, honestly. No, there was no reason to get Master out of jail. Yeah, I remember the kids existed, but I don't remember how they fit into the whole plot. And I've seen this movie like two or three times, so. It's weird that they got Master out of jail and they did nothing with that plot. So I think they just took him out because he's like, we need somebody smart to help rebuild society. So they take him to Sydney and he's one of the people that helps like light up the city, is my guess. Sure. But except but that also, they went into the city, assumedly, to get some water or something. Well, they fly there. Like when they're flying, they just happen upon it while they're flying to escape anti-entity in the Bartertown bunch. No, but I'm talking about earlier when they go into the city and break out oh, Master. Oh, yes. When they first go to get get him, when they first go to Bartertown to get Master, like, I don't know why they did that. that like, they weren't thinking, oh, we're going to take him and go find the city and rebuild. Like, no, that was not in their minds at right. all. So there's no reason to get Master out of jail. No, absolutely not. <laughs> I think that's the biggest plot hole in this entire movie. And maybe Max just felt bad for him or something, but they really, all they needed was steal some water from Bartertown and leave. They needed to take <laughs> a weird truck train into the desert. Yes, they did, Sam. Well, I mean, I'm glad they did because it was awesome, <laughs> but the need is a strong word. <laughs> So yeah, there you go. I don't know if anyone has any answers to the questions we have. Like maybe Max and Master had a previous history that we don't know about. Maybe something happened in Mad Max 2. Yeah, we had questions about the monkey. If there was a history yeah, with oh, the, well, monkey. the monkey. I forgot about the monkey because he's completely irrelevant. He does all this stuff and then just kind of fades away. Is the monkey in the airplane with them later? <sighs> I think so. <laughs> I, I think so. he bonded one of the kids and is like there, but I, I just, I, I don't know. He just sort of blended into the background for <laughs> I'd me. I'd be kind of sad if there was no monkey in the plane. I, I'm pretty sure the monkey survived. That's good that they didn't throw him out when they were trying to get the plane off the ground. If somebody knows the backstory of the monkey, please let us know. If someone knows why that plane could take off with like eight people in it, please let me know. At least eight people? At least. That's a lot. So, a lot of yeah. people. <laughs> but now you've experienced one of the great apocalyptic movies of our time and even before our time, Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. I appreciate that. Do you feel that. it, Danielle? I do. I feel it in my heart and soul. I think our podcast should adopt the motto, two men enter, one man leaves. <laughs> we should just like have a tagline every episode, apparently, because... <laughs> <laughs> What's better than that, Danielle? <laughs> what was the one from Tremors? <laughs> oh, there's nothing new under the sun, but under the ground... Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> <laughs> Well, if you have a tagline for us, you can send it to bookretorts.com. Or you can tweet at us, Facebook, Instagram us, at bookretorts. <laughs> Till next time. Bye. Take care, everybody. by the term beyond Thunderdome. Yeah, like what, what part of it is perplexing the to beyond. you? The beyond. Right, like if they had lived their entire life in Thunderdome and had to move beyond it, that would make sense. Yeah, or if it was just like a more prominent part of the movie, I guess, somehow. I don't know. I think there was a genius marketing guy who's like, all right, the Thunderdome is clearly the coolest part of the movie and the most like easily recognizable and has the coolest name. Let's just call the movie that and we'll draw people in. But you think it'd just be Mad Max Thunderdome. Then he's like, well, they don't really spend a lot of time in Thunderdome. So it's like, we're talking about more than just Thunderdome. More Maybe than Thunderdome. Beyond Thunderdome. <laughs> you could say like... Mad Max, Thunderdome, and then some other stuff. That's a bad title. <laughs> More than Thunderdome, I like. Mad Max. More than just Thunderdome. <laughs> <laughs>